So, uh, quick question. Um, have you ever been on the broken end of a promise? I suspect uh, that we all have. Um, I don't think that there's anything more uh, devastating, potentially, than broken promises in a relationship. You promise things, you make commitments to other people, and then when they're not fulfilled, it's one thing if it happens every once in a while, that certainly happens, but this again and again and again uh, just leads to mistrust and skepticism and, you know, I don't believe anything they say anyway because uh, they never come through. Um, but on the other hand, if you keep your commitments, uh, keep your promises, whether you say the word, I promise, or not, you give your word, it builds trust, credibility, um, reliability, you gain a good reputation. People can count on you. Um, so I suspect we've all been on the wrong end of broken promises, and, and I think if you're anything like me, we also have been on the other end where we've made commitments to people and have broken them. Um, again, with the same result, depending on the severity of it, but just breeds mistrust and, again, this, you know, well, he said that last time. Will he um, saying it again this time? Is he going to really come through? Um, so we lose uh, trust and people wonder if they can count upon us. Now, the ultimate promise keeper is God, as we know. <clears throat> Listen to what the Bible says about the promises that God made to Moses from really the book of uh, Exodus all the way through the end of Joshua. Uh, the Bible says this. If I fall over, sorry, I'll turn this thing around. Um, it says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel, had failed. All came to pass. There's a ton of promises in those probably four or 500 pages in our Bible. And uh, God brought every single one to pass. Uh, in fact, there's over a thousand promises in the Bible, and uh, every one that's been fulfilled, some are still future, uh, not many. Uh, most have already uh, come to be, but they've been fulfilled just as God said. Uh, so he is... He's not the, just the ultimate promise keeper. He's the penultimate promise keeper. So what he says, he does. And from the beginning, he's been coming through on his promises. Uh, every single one. <clears throat> because his record is so perfect, we can take him at his word. Uh, he's proved himself. This morning, I want to take a look at just one verse. Um, uh, more or less, a promise that God makes an amazing promise, a commitment that he's made uh, whereby he brings dead people to life through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have Bibles um, or the few Bibles or um, I don't know if we'll have it up here today or on your phone, whatever you have, Romans 1.16, uh, it's just after the book of Acts, Romans 1.16. But in this verse, we're going to learn four things uh, the big thing is that Paul was eager to preach the gospel. Uh, I wonder how, much, how many times we're eager to preach the gospel. When we think about that, it drives like the fear of God in us. Uh, evangelism, it's, it's a scary word. Uh, and yet Paul was eager to preach the gospel <clears throat> because I think he was absolutely convinced of four critical things uh, that we're going to learn in this verse. And I'll just give them to you and then we'll walk through them. But First of all, he was convinced of the certainty of the message. Uh, second, he was convinced of the power of the message. 
Third, he was convinced of the result of the message. And fourth, finally, he was convinced of the reception of the message. And we'll get into this. But uh, let's see, I'm 35. So 23 years ago, I became a Christian. Uh, Hard to believe it was that long ago. Um, But as I began to read the Bible and pray, uh, go to church and was taught, you know, uh, the Bible, and God began to really grow my my faith. The Bible calls this word sanctification. It's the process of becoming like Christ as we grow in our faith, uh, more and more like him. And I found that as as I grew, God began to put a burden on my heart for other people that didn't know Jesus. Um, So I had a real um, clear uh, 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 realization of people's need for Christ and um, the consequences if they had uh, rejected him. Um, I knew that God wanted me to tell others about him. Jesus said in the Gospels, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. So... um, one day I thought, oh, I, got the, I have the perfect idea. I'm gonna, this is how I'm going to do it. So uh, I decided the next Saturday night I was going to go to my, um, the movie theater in my town. There's all kinds of kids hung out outside. Um, and I thought I'll, I'll go there and I'll share the gospel with uh, people my age because I was in high school at the time. So Saturday came around. I was super excited. I've been praying all week about it. Uh, I got my backpack. I emptied it of my books, which probably didn't read much anyway, Filled it with, uh, you know, some Bibles and tracts. I was, like, really prepared to go and, and uh, share the gospel, tell people about Jesus. Um, so I drive up there, and I walk up to this mob of people, probably a couple hundred kids, uh, standing on the sidewalk, and I walk up to them, and I don't say anything. Instead, I found a place um, to lean back against the building, and uh, I waited and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And the conversation I had with God there on the sidewalk went something like this. God, I really want to tell people about you, but I just cannot open my mouth. I really want to go over there and start a conversation, but my legs will not work. And um, as no one ever came over to me, uh, I stood there for a long time in silence, and then I walked back to my car, and I drove home. So what went wrong that night? Clearly, I had the desire to do it. I had the intention. I had made a plan. I'd been praying. I knew that is what God wanted me to do, uh, but I didn't do it. Anybody relate to that? As I reflect back on that night, my initial conclusion was that I was just terrified. Clearly, I was terrified. I really felt paralyzed once I got against the wall, like I was being sucked against it, uh, and I couldn't get off, and I couldn't scream for help. Um, And I think fear was part of it, but as I look back now, and as I've learned more about God's message, um, I don't think that was the primary uh, factor involved. I think the primary factor was that I had a a faulty or uh, I misunderstood God's message. Um, And I want to suggest this morning that if we have a correct view of God's message, what it is, um, as we'll look at it this morning, that it it has the ability to absolutely transform the way you see evangelism, um, to be bolder than maybe you've been, um, to proclaim it 
eagerly. Maybe eagerly is not something that's ever been in your vocabulary around this idea of evangelism. So if you're in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, um, Romans is a lengthy letter. Uh, Paul writes to Christians living in the city of Rome. A lot of doctrine in this letter um, about Christianity and salvation. Um, He presents it very orderly and detailed, uh, the uh, salvation, uh, the redemptive plan of God. So... um, we kind of jump into the middle of this chapter. I just want to bring us through quickly and just listen as I just explain uh, how we get to verse 16. But uh, Paul says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, this is a kind of a side note, but in the ancient world, when you wrote a letter, you'd always write your name first. Uh, so whoever was writing a letter, Paul or uh, Peter or whoever, write their name first. It's kind of nice because... How many times you get a letter and it's two-sided and you have to flip over on the back, go to the end to see who's writing to you? So I kind of like it. But um, So uh, this letter is from Paul, clearly. Verse 7, he says, who it's addressed to. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing this letter uh, to the Romans, Christians living in Rome, from a city called Corinth, which you probably have heard of. It's about 600 miles uh, southeast of Rome. And then he gives us, uh, he says that he, he really wants to stop in for a visit, even though he's 600 miles away. Verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So when he gives two reasons why he wants to visit. Now he hasn't been to Rome, so maybe he wants to sightsee or You know, the Colosseum was probably pretty amazing then. But he says in verse 12, the reason he wants to come, one reason is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So even though he's the apostle and they're they're just people like us, you know, uh, the the students, so to speak, uh, Paul is expected to go to them and be encouraged by them and their faith. So it's it's not like there's people up here and, you know, like we all encourage each other. It doesn't matter if as pastors or missionaries or an apostle, uh, Paul is going to be encouraged by the uh, Roman Christians. And then he gives a second reason why he wants to go to Rome, and it's to preach the gospel, verses 14 and 15. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And when it comes to personal evangelism, to sharing his faith, to telling people about Jesus, Paul is eager, he's ready, and he's willing. Um, It may seem crazy, but he actually looks forward to doing that. Uh, So, you know, why would he be so eager to preach the gospel? Is it because, you know, every time that he does, people always come to faith? Is it because he has such good spiritual conversations with people, uh, and he just loved it so much? Um, If you know anything about Paul's life, you know those are not the reasons. Um, Listen to what Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth. Um, Things he's experienced as a result of sharing the gospel. This is from 2 Corinthians 11. But he says, uh, Imprisonment, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Uh, this This means that on five different occasions... Paul was punished for preaching the gospel, and the punishment 
was that uh, he would have been uh, stretched out or, or held down in some way. His shirt would have been off, and he was struck across the back with a whip 39 times. Uh, and then the punishment was over. He said this happened five different times. So that's 195 uh, lashes with a whip across his back. Uh, and he continues, three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. Um, can you imagine, have you ever thought about what a back would look like after that kind of a uh, beating? What his body would have looked like, the scarring. Um, and yet Paul is eager to preach the gospel. And it's the gospel that keeps getting in trouble. He's eager. Uh, he doesn't know what awaits him in every city that he goes to. He knows God has given a command, as he's given us, to preach the gospel in all the world. Um, but God does reveal to him in Acts chapter 20 that suffering and persecution await him in every city that he goes to. And so he knows that if he goes to Rome, he'll be persecuted physically. Um, and he's eager. In verse 16, Paul gives the reasons that drive his eagerness. Uh, and the first reason that Paul is eager to preach the gospel is that he is convinced of the certainty of the message. Verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He says he's not ashamed. What does that mean? Sometimes we think of shame uh, in terms of people shaming us, things that they say to us that shame us, things that they do to us that cause shame. Sometimes you may have heard your mother say, you should be ashamed of yourself. I uh, probably have heard that a number of times. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. Um, he's saying that he knows that the gospel will not put him to shame. Uh, in his speaking or proclaiming or teaching or sharing the gospel, uh, no shame will come upon him. And here's why. He's absolutely convinced that this message that God's given him to preach and to teach is, is 100% true. So he's not afraid that this almost fantastical message, uh, the Bible says that those who don't believe think it's foolishness. It's a crazy message. A man comes from heaven and lives a perfect life and dies and raises again, and if you believe, then you're saved. It's, it sounds like a crazy message. Um, but he's not afraid that this incredible message will prove false. So when he preaches, he's not embarrassed. Um, he has no reason to be embarrassed that somehow God's promise will not come about. Um, he knows he will not be put to shame by God's promise. So let me give you an example and maybe help you think through a little bit. Uh, about 10 years ago in the NBA playoffs, the Philadelphia 76ers faced up against the Toronto Raptors. Allen Iverson was the star of the Sixers. Though barely six feet tall, he could almost score at will. Amazing basketball player. In the first game of the series, Allen Iverson scored 50 points. In the press conference afterwards, they asked the opposing, one of the opposing players, Charles Oakley, and they, said, uh, they asked him about Allen Iverson's performance. And uh, Oakley confidently asserted in no uncertain terms that Iverson would not score 50 again. And for those who missed the series, if you guys aren't Sixers fans, it's a shame, but uh, for those who missed the series, uh, Oakley was right. 
the following game, Iverson didn't score 50. He scored 54. Uh, now, what was inherently wrong about Oakley's promise? He, I mean, he made a promise that he could not keep. Now, Iverson's a little guy, he's shorter than me, and Oakley's taller than me. So, for one thing, Oakley wouldn't have been guarding Iverson. So he personally couldn't fulfill his promise. So he was making a promise on behalf of his teammates. Did he know if they were up for it? Or did they have the ability to shut down the answer, Allen Iverson? Uh, clearly not. So Oakley had no ability to back up what he said, the promise that he made. So when, Iver- when Iverson went out the next game and scored even more than the first game, Oakley's words came back to haunt him. Uh, I would have loved to, I tried to find that press conference, I couldn't find it. I doubt he said much. Um, but he was put to shame by his promise um, when it failed to come about. It's really foolish to guarantee something that cannot be guaranteed. So Paul is eager to preach the gospel because he knows that God keeps his word. What God promises, he brings about. What he says, he does. When God declares that through faith in Christ's work on the cross, people have their sins forgiven, when he declares that, he means it. So Paul is eager to preach the gospel because what the gospel claims, God guarantees. You can take it to the bank. Paul could declare with absolute confidence uh, this gospel message because God said in Acts 4.12, there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Paul was completely confident that the message was true, that faith in Christ would save souls. So the first reason Paul is eager, even though he's going to be whipped when he gets to Rome, or stoned, or beaten, um, we know eventually he's imprisoned and ends up dying in Rome, executed. The first reason he's eager to preach the gospel is he's convinced of the certainty of the message. The second reason that Paul is eager to preach the gospel is that he's convinced of the power of the message. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Now the gospel, uh, skeptics or critics may say, Well, this guy's made that up a long time ago, and it's just a big story to trick people into believing something. It, clearly, it's originated with men, and it's, you know, it didn't. The gospel is uh, originated with God. Um, it's his message, and because it's his message and his words, um, it's, it's almost as if it's the avenue through which God's power flows. Um, it is the power of God. The Greek word for power here is a word called dunamis. Does that sound like an English word that you may... Little sounds a little bit like dynamite. Um, so, in the same way, this this powerful uh, uh, power of God, this working, active, uh, explosive, perhaps uh, power of God, this is the gospel. <clears throat> Sometimes it feels weak, but it's not. Uh, so, whenever we preach the gospel, whatever form it takes, whatever it looks like, whether it's something up here in a in a sermon, or um, we teach at Kids Connect, or with River Kids upstairs, or um, Teen Connect, or we have informal conversations with people that we know, we share at the park at movie nights, whatever form it looks like, and whatever context we're in, when we preach the gospel and we share 
about Jesus. We have at our fingertips the full power of God, uh, despite what we, what we may feel at the time. Uh, a few years ago, I was fooling around with um, an electrical uh, box at my house. I'm not very handy. Uh, Peter's been trying to get me to work for him, but I, I'm not handy, Peter. I, I'm not gonna, I can't paint either. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but I, I figured I could probably do this little thing. I, I just had to go down, shut the breaker off downstairs, and I could come back up and try to change out this little thing in my dining room. I didn't think it was going to be that difficult. So I went down and uh, did that and uh, came back up and was, you know, fooling around with the wires and then zap. Uh, I got, uh, I was like, wow, wasn't expecting that. Um, But I was so confused because I know for a fact that I turned it off downstairs and it's labeled dining room and I literally turned it off. Um, So I was so confused. I ended up, we ended up finding out that, um, called my dad, dad, what's going on? And, you know, he's far away. He can't help me, but what in the world just happened? And as it turns out that, um, the previous owners had updated the walls and the wires, but they didn't update the box downstairs. So, uh, I thought it was off, but it was on, uh, the whole time. Um, so, but I had assumed that there were no power in the wires. Um, but, and from the looks of it, it didn't look like there was, you know, there was no like electricity popping out or anything didn't seem like anything was on. Um, there was nothing that led me to believe that they were live, uh, but they were. they were. There was power there all along. So did you know that God's divine power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same uh, power that split the Red Sea, the same power that we see in the Gospels, Jesus commands demons to come out of people, and they come out on their knees. This same power is activated when we proclaim the gospel. Um, sometimes um, I wish that I would see more of God's power in healing. Uh, we had an amazing uh, testimony of Sam's sister, uh, cancer disappearing. And we've been praying for that. I wish that we saw more of that. Uh, I wish we would see more of God's power. And yet, as I read this verse here, the gospel is the power of God. And if we would just share it, we would see God's power. So despite what we may feel at the time or what our audience may think, what we think our audience thinks about this message, um, the power is there. In its proclamation, God's power is unleashed. So Paul is eager to preach the gospel, even though he knows what awaits him, because he's convinced of the power of the message. And then he explains what all this power is for. The third reason Paul is eager to preach the gospel is because he's convinced of the result of the message. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. So the power of God, when unleashed in the speaking of the message, leads people to salvation. Uh, it's so easy as a Christian after so many years, and you guys, some of you have been believers for a while, we just, it's just easy to get used to this, you know? But it's not a small thing. Uh, listen to how Paul describes the hopelessness of humanity apart from Christ. He writes this in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. 
But he says, <clears throat> you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. So we all were without God and without hope, and there was nothing we could do to change our situation. We were sinners, and we couldn't please God in any way. But listen to how God brings sinners to salvation through the preaching of his message. Again, Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So it's only through faith in God's message that anybody is saved, that souls are saved, that dead people are brought to life. And faith in the gospel leads to salvation. I may have shared some of this before in another sermon, um, but it's worth repeating. But we often think that salvation, we think of it primarily in terms of something that we will get when we, like, on the other side of the grave, something that we, you know, we go to heaven in the future. But uh, salvation and the results of it start from the moment we place our faith in Christ. So here's a few things to ponder. And uh, number one, Save from the penalty of sin. Uh, clearly, we were under God's wrath, and then uh, we're forgiven. So we're not under his wrath anymore. We're saved from the penalty of sin, not only eternal on the other side of the grave, but God says in Hebrews nine fourteen that God cleanses us from guilty consciences, the things we have done in the past before Christ, that God cleanses a guilty conscience. So uh, we're freed from the penalty of sin. We're also saved from the power of sin. Uh, to hinder our new life in Christ, God commands that we live holy, and he gives us the ability to do that. Jesus Christ has given us victory and has given us the Holy Spirit that he indwells us to, give us, uh, to empower us for godliness. And then ultimately, we will be saved on the other side of the grave from the presence of sin. I cannot wait for that. As much as I, as much as I want to be here and um, like love you guys and my family and my boys and I want to see people grow up and I, you know I want to see people get married and you know these things. Um, man, that's going to be an incredible day uh, when we get to heaven. And there's no more sin, no more propensity for sin. We're freed completely from the presence of sin. Uh, we don't know exactly what that will be like. John 3 says, but uh, we know that when we see Jesus face to face, we'll be changed in an instant. Finally done away with our body of sin and given glorified bodies. I cannot wait for a glorified body. hope it comes with a little bit more muscle too, because I'm a little lacking down here. Uh, but in addition to gaining eternal life at salvation, we enter into a new relationship with God and with the community of Christians, the church. We're recreated transformed and made holy. Uh, so salvation involves so much more than just, um, you know, someday, you know, when I die and I get to go to heaven, but it starts here. The results begin the moment we believe. 
So Paul is eager to preach the gospel because he's convinced of the result of the message. The activated power of God, when received through faith, results in salvation, even in the worst of sinners. Fourth, Paul is eager to preach the gospel because he's convinced of the reception of the message. Again, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, during the days Jesus walked on earth, some people came up to him. They were always trying to, you know, guys that thought they were smart or whatever, try to trick them. Or, but one day somebody came up and said, Jesus, what are the works of God that we can do them? You know, what does God expect from us? And then just tell us and then we'll just do it. And so Jesus kind of answers them the way they asked. And he said, okay, you want to know the work of God? It's this, to believe in the one whom he sent. So biblical belief is a lot more than just intellectual assent. Certainly you've got to intellectually believe that something is true to believe it. Um, but it's more than that. Uh, that's not saving faith. Saving faith would be full-blown trust. Um, years ago, I want to say like 100 years ago, it was a long time ago, there was a daredevil that... Uh, decided he was a tightrope walker. Those guys are crazy, always thinking of something else to, to span. But his idea was he was going to cross Niagara Falls. And uh, so they allowed him to do it, you know, and um, uh, he got the lines strung up. And, of course, tons of people were there that day, tons of. This is a huge crowd. They want to, I guess, either see him make history or, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I could go. Um, I don't like heights. Um, but before he stepped on the rope, he was all ready to go, and he turned to the crowd, and he said, who here thinks I can make it to the other side? Of course, they all cheered, you know, uh, and uh, applause, and everybody's excited, and uh, so he steps up on the line, and he slowly, step-by-step walks the entire span unharmed. Now, on the other side, there's another huge crowd, because they're waiting for him to, to finish, and uh, and then he asked them, who, thinks, who here thinks I can go all the way back pushing a wheelbarrow? Of course, they all cheer. And uh, everybody wants to see this feat. And he gets up again and he pushes the wheelbarrow step by step, step by step. And makes it again to the other side. So he gets to the other side and the crowd's cheering. And he turns to them again and he says, who here thinks that I can make this trip again pushing a wheelbarrow with someone seated in the bucket? Of course, they all cheer. They're super excited. We want to see this. he just done it twice. We know he can do it. And then he asked for a volunteer. Now that is saving faith. It is putting your complete trust in Jesus Christ uh, and in him alone, in what he did on the cross, dying in your place, forgiving your sins, it's not trusting in any of your own ability. It's not like saying, well, uh, and by the way, there was a volunteer. Somebody actually went and uh, took the trip, and they both made it. Uh, but halfway along, that guy couldn't have got out of the bucket and said, well, I've seen him do it tw- two times already. Here I am in the middle. I could probably just finish it on my own. That's not, that's not saving faith. Um, so for me, my conversation isn't, I'm all right with God because I believe in Jesus and I'm a pretty good person and I go to church most weeks or pay my taxes. That's not saving faith. 
Saving faith is realizing that you have no way to get across those falls unless Jesus brings you there himself. Uh, the Bible says that in Isaiah 59, too, that um, sin has caused a separation between us and God. And there's no, that's a big chasm. It's clearly longer than Niagara Falls on a rope. You have a better chance of doing that than bridging the chasm to God on your own. Um, and the Bible says there was one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So saving faith is staking your eternity on Jesus' work on the cross. And Paul is eager to preach the gospel because he's convinced about the reception of the message that salvation is received through faith and nothing else. Now Paul uh, wrote this letter to the Romans packed full of Christian doctrine, several personal touches throughout at the end, but he was eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Uh, So he's eager to preach the gospel because he's convinced of the certainty of the message. He wouldn't be put to shame by it. Uh, He wasn't going to make a claim that would come back to prove false. It was true. He could proclaim it confidently. Uh, Paul was eager to preach because he was convinced of the power of the message. That speaking it unleashed God's divine power. So much so that... um, could bring dead men back to life. He was eager to preach because he was convinced of the result of the message. Salvation from sin, the penalty, the power, ultimately the presence. And he was eager to preach because he was convinced of the reception of the message, that salvation received was received by uh, faith alone, not by any work that anybody could do. This is the gospel. Uh, just All it means is good news. Um, the holy God makes a way for sinners to be made right with him solely through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. I'm sure that in the history of mankind, uh, there's never been such good news. And I suspect that uh, never has such good news been kept so quiet. Uh, so, where do we go from here? Um, what might God be asking you to do? If you're a believer, then Jesus has given a command, go into all the world and make disciples. Not just for those apostles, those original guys, not just for the original disciples that walked with Jesus, not just for the people that lived in the Bible times, not just for pastors or missionaries or, you know, you name it. It's for everybody, it's for all of us. What might God be asking you in light of what we've learned this morning? Um, Who might you share with? It doesn't have to be a formal thing. don't have to know everything. Certainly, people ask me questions all the time. I don't know the answers to them. It's okay. Um, Who can you pray for? Uh, Josh talks about this. Be praying for people that God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel with. So just think about your circles of influence, people that you work with, people that you go to school with, uh, people in your neighborhoods, um, people that you run into on the street, strangers. Um, That's a scary prayer to pray, to pray that God will give you opportunities to share with people. Uh, It's scary because he will, 
And then you have a choice. Um, you can be like me and stand against the wall, the movie theater, paralyzed, or, um, or you can speak and let God's power uh, unleash it. Um, and I challenge you to pray, because he will. This week, I want you guys to talk about this in your connection groups. Talk about it with the people you meet. Think through how we as a church, as a young church, can um, share the gospel. Um, all of us. Challenge you, really. There's, there's no greater news than this. And aren't we so thankful that somebody took a chance, maybe, one way to look at it, on us? How would we respond? And somebody did that for us. And uh, we have the responsibility now to do that and the opportunity to do that for others. The message cannot fail. It's true. It's powerful. It leads to salvation and um, through faith alone. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for um, not leaving us here alone. Sometimes we feel like we are. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there's much power. Um, help us to not put too much into feelings because those change moment by moment and are often not grounded in anything that's true. Help us just to continue to be drawn back to your word, to what is true, especially in light of evangelism, something that scares a lot of us. Um, not sure that fear goes away, but pray, God, that when you give us opportunities, that you will make that clear to us and that you would give us the faith to step in uh, into those opportunities. And uh, we pray that we can really be um, uh, a uh, faithful witness here in this city, in this community, as we look, for, look toward uh, summer and all the events we're going to be doing. We pray that those events would not just be events in themselves, but opportunities to share about Jesus. Help us to step out on that limb, take that chance. Pray that you give us eager hearts. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.